Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, we are continuing our march through Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Hear now the words of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Those are the very words of God. Amen? Amen. What is the good life? Let's see what Twitter has to say about the good life. Um, I just did a, a brief search of hashtag the good life. What does Twitter say the good life is? I just took an hour and laid in the sun, listened to atmosphere, and ate Ben and Jerry's The Good Life. This one says, drinking a 40-ounce Bud Light with a friend, the good life. Pulling up to your yacht in a Lamborghini, the good life. That's some good life living. Uh, You mothers would appreciate this. Kids sleeping, I'm eating pizza and drinking red wine, the good life. The good. All the mamas said, amen. Get this one, getting baked on the way home with friends. The good life. The good life. There's this uh, show that used to run, uh, it's called MTV Cribs, right? MTV Cribs, y'all remember MTV Cribs. If you were born in the 90s, you don't remember MTV Cribs. But I'm going to use it anyway. 
Um, so MTV Cribs, it's, it's all about the famous and the wealthy um, letting you into their homes to have an inside look. So guys like Gene Simmons, Carmelo Anthony, uh, our own Zach Randolph, uh, Little Wayne, everybody and their mama has done an MTV Cribs. So they, they open the doors of their home and they walk you around and they show you imported floors and they show you this unique artwork and they show you these indoor pools and bowling alleys inside their homes and these extravagant um, b- basketball courts on the outside. They show you all of this fancy stuff and you just look in awe with your mouth drooling like, wow, that, that's a good life. And their desire is to show you that this is the good life. This is the good, what you have is the good life. What you possess is the good life. They want to show you that if you want to have the good life, you got to get all of these things. That's where real fulfillment and real joy comes from, right? When we come to our text this morning, we see Paul giving us a real picture of the good life. Paul shows us that it's not about what you have but whom you have. Paul says it is not about the things that you can acquire, but it's more so about whom you have. That's what Paul is going to show us this morning. He gives us a picture of the real good life. This morning I want to answer two primary questions, and that is, what does the good life look like according to Paul? That's the first question. And the second question I want to answer is, what are the implications of the good life. I want to speak from the subject, the good life. But before we go to work, let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment. Father, I pray that your spirit would be ever present. Show up, God. We need to hear a word from you. Father, thank you that you sent your only son to love us through being obedient to death. And Lord, I want us to embrace that message over and over again this morning. Because you loved us enough to send your only son to shed his blood. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with us, that you would, Lord, open our eyes and open our ears to hear from you. We need to move from you. We need to experience you this morning. Father, also pray for Richard as he's away in Colorado preaching Uh, Father, I pray that you would order his steps, that you would open his mouth. Uh, Lord, that the Spirit would lead in his preaching, Father. I pray that your people would be blessed after sitting under the preaching of the Word. I pray that he would point them to Jesus. I pray, as Spurgeon said, that he would make a beeline to Christ. Thank you for downtown church and the time we get to spend together. Lord, I pray that you would move me aside in this moment, that you would exalt yourself, that you may be glorified in downtown church right here in Memphis. Thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, um, we answered the question, uh, is the law bad? Is is the law wrong? And we, we saw the purpose of the law is to do what? Reveal our sin. To magnify our sin. And we saw that sin is relentless. 
We also saw that Paul was real and very raw in giving us a picture of the Christian life. And the Christian life is one of struggle. Paul never told us that the Christian life would be all peaches and cream. He said that the Christian life is one of struggle. And at the end, Paul points us to Jesus. He shows us Jesus to be the only deliverer, to be the only Savior. Paul says to himself, O wretched man that I am, where can I go to get an answer? And he says, Jesus, at the end of the day. This week, Paul connects the two passages as he launches our passage with the word, therefore. Paul makes a beautiful statement in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that those that have put their faith in Jesus are no longer under condemnation because Jesus has been condemned for them. Paul says you don't have to be condemned if your faith is in Jesus Christ. Jesus has been condemned for us. And because of that, we are now free from sin and death. We are no longer in bondage to sin, but we've, we've put our faith in Jesus. And Jesus says you are free. How? Because in God's infinite grace, He sent His only Son. He sent His only Son in the form of a man. He sent His only Son to die the death that you and I should have died. He stood in our place for our sin. And Paul says, because of that, we are not condemned because Christ was condemned for us. See, we needed a perfect sacrifice. And we could never be obedient to the law enough. We could never be more acceptable to God on our own standard. We could never meet the standard of perfection that God had put before us. And so He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to live a perfect life, to die a gruesome death, to to be buried and to be raised again on the third day. He sent a perfect sacrifice for us. What love that is. What grace that is. Can I remind those here that this morning that you and I can never work for our salvation. We can never force ourselves to be more acceptable to God. It will not work. God's standard is perfect. His standard, His righteousness is perfect. And the only way that we can meet that perfect standard to make our relationship right with God is to put our whole faith and our whole trust in Jesus. I love what Paul uses. He uses a metaphor in verse 4. Look at it with me. He says, Jesus met the standard with His very life. And look at what He says. He says, For those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul uses this idea of walking to describe the Christian faith. And I love this because what Paul is not saying is when we come to saving faith, we are not on some magic carpet ride, sipping fruity drinks with little umbrellas in them, having this perfect life. Paul says this is one foot in front of the other. It's it's a walk. And the idea there is steadiness. It's consistency. One foot in front of the other. Steady progress. That's what Paul is saying to us. But what does the good life look like? What does the good life look like? The good life looks like making an intentional decision to walk with Jesus. Look at verses 5 through 10 with me. Look at it now. 5 through 10 says this. 
For those who live according to the flesh, get this, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there is a difference between someone who is consumed with the things of this world and someone who is consumed with the things of God. They are two totally different people. And get this, each one of them has to make some intentional decisions. Each one of them, whether you are devoting your life to the temporary things of this world, or you are devoting your life to spiritual things, each person makes some intentional decisions to get on that route. And Paul is extremely clear about that. Seven times, several times in this, this passage, Paul says, set their minds, set their minds, set their minds. Here's what boils down to. At some point, there needs to be some decisions made. Either we will continue to be controlled by the flesh, worldly things that are temporary, or we will be controlled, we will be consumed by the things of the Spirit. See, one leads to death. And one leads to life and peace. Did you come in this place looking for some peace? Are you restless? Are you longing for rest? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, abide in me, walk with me, know me, grow with me. That's where you will find true peace. That's where you will find true joy. That's where you will find it. It's in Jesus I love what this says. Um, Theologian Willem Barclay says it this way. To allow the things of the world completely to dominate life is self-destructive. It is spiritual suicide. So what Paul is saying here is for you and I to have the things of the Spirit to dominate our hearts and our lives. That's the goal. For the things of the Spirit to consume us. In 1962, um, you've probably seen this story in the news lately, uh, James Meredith was the first person to integrate uh, the University of Mississippi. Uh, and James Maris, uh, Meredith, I'm sure, uh, he walked on the campus. I'm sure he was fearful at times uh, on what could happen. But he integrated the University of Mississippi. And so this is a new season of unity. It's, it's, it's a new season for this entire university, I'm sure the entire city. Um, but fast forward to 2014, um, what happens? James Meredith has this statue commemorating um, this unity and this new season at the university. He has this statue on the campus and several students uh, collaborate together and they decide uh, to make intentional steps to go out and take a Confederate flag and stick it in the ground in front of James Meredith's statue. And even more than that, they make intentional decisions to take a noose and wrap it around the bronze neck of James Meredith. Um, They made intentional choices 
to do those things. And so now they are possibly facing federal charges, these freshmen here at the campus. Um, they, they, they are possibly facing state charges as well. They're definitely going to face charges uh, on the university level. But here they made intentional decisions to do what they did. And now they've got to face the consequences. And hear what Paul is saying. He's saying either you will make intentional decisions to to be consumed by, by the things of this world. Or you will make intentional decisions to be consumed by the things of the Spirit and the things of God. You are on one side of the or the other whether you know it or not. And he's saying there's going to be some consequences. Either it will lead to life and peace through the spirit of the the living God or it will lead to death. Paul's saying there is some intentional decisions that we have to make to set our minds on the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit. Secondly, the good life looks like living in confidence of our position. Living in confidence of our position. Look at verse 11 with me. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Here's the idea. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, then the Spirit of the living God comes to take residence on the inside of you. And if the Spirit of the living God comes to take residence on the inside of you, like the, French, like the poet French Montana said, I ain't got no worries. I ain't got a worry. I ain't got a care in the world. Why? Because the Spirit of the living God lives on the inside of me. And Paul says, you don't have a thing to worry about. Why? Because he will keep his word. God is faithful and he will keep his word. Paul doesn't say the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead might or maybe or could possibly give you life. Paul says, if you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give you life. Will give you life. And that's good news for us. Because we don't have to doubt where we stand if our faith is in Jesus. Paul says, I promise you that The spirit that lives on the inside of you, God will keep his word. He is faithful. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John 10.10. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says it this way. The very reason that Jesus came is to give life. That's the reason why Jesus came. So we can have faith and confidence and truth that if the Spirit is in us, God has started and He will complete what He started. He will. We can have confidence that God leaves nothing undone. He is faithful and He keeps His Word. Paul reassured us in Philippians 1.6 in saying, And I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. If the Spirit of Christ is on the inside of you, you can be confident in your position in Christ. You don't have to doubt. 
And that's something that we need to soak on the inside of us. We need to be saturated in those truths. Because so often, especially when we face issues of sin, the first thing we do is we doubt. But the promises of God says to us, God will give us life. He will be there for us. He will never leave us nor forsake us if our faith is in Jesus Christ. If the Spirit is in us, we'll be alright. Y'all remember uh, the cop's theme song? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they... Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? Don't leave me hanging. What you gonna do when they... That's what I'm talking about. And so, how about this one? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, look at y'all. That has nothing to do with the sermon. Um, so I just, I just got y'all. Um, but anyway, the, the, this, this theme song from Cops. Bad boys, bad, what you gonna do when they... The idea is that they are coming. And there is no stopping them. It's inevitable. They're coming no matter what. My uncle used to say it this way. You can't outrun the police radio. And what he's saying is, they're coming. It's inevitable. And they will get you sooner or later. And that's what Paul is saying. It's inevitable. That if your faith is in Jesus Christ, He's coming. And He's for you. You can trust in Him. He is faithful. Are you living in confidence this morning? Have you recognized that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring that same work that He started? You didn't start it. He will be faithful to bring that work to completion. The question then becomes, how can I know that the Spirit is in me or not? How can I know? One answer, fruit. Fruit. Look at Galatians 5, 19-24 with me. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, um, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Nobody gets out of this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the the fruit of the Spirit, get this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. That's how you know. If the Spirit of God has, has taken up residency, has moved in with you, if you bear the fruit of the Spirit, if the fruit of the Spirit is living and active, if the fruit of the Spirit is exemplified in your life, that's how you know if the Spirit of the living God is in you. How else can you know? Verse 16 in our text tells us, it says this, it says, The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Which means that the Holy Spirit will confirm in you and I if we are His. The Holy Spirit on the inside of us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, will will let us know that we belong to Him. Will communicate with God's Spirit and let us know that we are His. second question we want to answer is, what are the implications of the good life? 
The first implication of the good life is that we are no longer strangers and aliens. And this is such a beautiful thing. Look at verse 14 with me. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Let me just stop here for a second. Uh, The idea of being led by the Spirit of God in the original language um, comes with the idea of, of being carried or brought along. So what Paul is saying here is all who are being carried by the Spirit of God. That's the idea. And so, so what we need to understand is that if you want to be carried by the Spirit of God, your faith has to be put in Jesus. What are you being carried by? Are you being carried by the things of this world? Or are you being carried by the Spirit of God? Paul continues. Paul continues by saying this in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Here's the beauty of this. If our faith is in Jesus, we are no longer strangers. We're no longer aliens. We are no longer far off. But we've been brought near by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as Ephesians 2 says. We're no longer aliens. We're no longer strangers. But we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And get this, you did not deserve to be a son or daughter of the Most High God. Your life is not worth being a son or a daughter of the Most High God. My life is not worth it, but God received us in, through Jesus anyway by grace. He loved us and He cared for us. See, we have a brand new identity as sons and daughters. So much so that as children of God, we are also His heirs. And see, in adoption, the new father does this. He exercises authority over his new child. And not only does the new father exercise authority over his new child, but the new child gets all of the privileges and benefits as if he were a natural child. And so now that's what we get to take advantage of. As a son and as a daughter of the Most High, we get all of the privileges and the benefits as if we were natural children. He has adopted us. He's called us sons and daughters. He's given us a new identity. And maybe your father wasn't there for you. Maybe you never even knew Him. But if your faith is in Jesus, you have a Heavenly Father who cares for you and who loves you, who has adopted you as a son and daughter. He loves you. I remember um, when I was uh, in school, 7th seventh and 8th and, and grade, I went to a private Christian school, grew up in St. Louis. Um, and this school was something that um, I was, man, just completely... Um, unaware what it was going to be like. And so here I am. I lived in a neighborhood a lot like South Memphis or in Whitehaven here in Memphis or um, Binghamton, one of those neighborhoods, Orange Mound. And, um, and I was thrusted, I was thrown into this school that was completely different than what I was used to. And here I am. I'm feeling like a fish out of water um, as a 7th and 8th grade kid. Um, man, I got to tell you, I cried a lot. 
Um, there was a lot of days that um, I would just break down and in tears and I would tell my mother, I don't want to go back to that school anymore. I hate it. I'm not doing it. Because I was completely different than everybody else. I felt like a stranger. I felt like an alien. I, I, I talked differently. I, I dressed differently. And I remember going to school uh, early in the day and I'd sit near my locker by myself because I was alienated. And that's what Paul is saying. Um, and, but, but before that, then I, I, I became an athlete, and um, I did okay as an athlete. Um, and then I got friends. I, 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 um, the Lord gave me great friends, and some of them I still have today. And uh, I, I became in the family. I got in the family. And Paul is showing us this here. He's showing us that many of us were alienated. We were strangers. We were sitting uh, at our lockers by ourselves. But through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, He has brought us near. And He has grafted us into His heavenly family. Through faith in Jesus Christ, it is not by any work of our own. It is not by any doing of our own. It is only through Jesus Christ. Because He loved us. And because He cared for us. The last implication of the good life is that everything will not go our, our way, but in the end, we win. Everything will not go our way, but in the end, we win. Paul says it this way in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, get this, we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Here's what you got to know. That there is no glorification without suffering. And I want to break the news to you this morning. I, don't, I know what, they, what the TV evangelists, I know what they've said. I know that they, they, they tell us that if we sow a seed, we can be healthy, uh, prosperous, uh, and wealthy. All of these things. Um, but, but Jesus never promises us that. Jesus never promises us a perfect life. Never. What he does promise is that he will be with us in the midst of the storm. And what Paul is showing us is that there is no glorification on that day when Christ claims all that belong to him. There's no glorification without suffering. So maybe you've experienced some suffering in your life. Maybe you've had some hardships in your life and the first thing you begin to do is you begin to question, God, why? If you are for me, how in the world could you let this happen to me? What Paul would say to you is, He is for you. He does love you. He loves you enough to send His only Son, but there is no glorification without suffering. And we can expect that same suffering. But get this, in the end, we win. Why? Because one day, there will be a day that comes, if our faith is in Jesus Christ, that we will not not deal with tears. We won't deal with depression. There will be no struggling with pornography. There will be all of these things that we face in this life. There will be no more. No sickness. No death. 
He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. One day, we won't have to deal with this temporary life, these broken bodies. And God says, even before that day, there will be suffering. But even in the midst of the suffering, I'm with you. I'm for you. I got your back. If your faith is in Jesus Christ. Remember um, that, that Axe body spray commercial? There's a series of them. Y'all remember? Um, crazy commercials. Uh, these kids at times and men would take this Axe body spray and they'd spray it all over themselves. And all of a sudden, women out of nowhere would just drape themselves on these, these kids and these, these guys. And the idea there is the good life, right? If you want to be accepted, uh, if you want to get the pretty ladies, if you, if you want to get what this world says is acceptable, Axe Body Spray. Whew. That's all you need. If you just get this aroma on you, you'll be just fine. Spray some Axe Body Spray on yourself. And what Paul is saying is, he's saying, you don't need an Axe Body Spray but you need the, the aroma of the Holy Spirit. You need to be saturated in the Holy Spirit. You need to walk with the Holy Spirit. You need to live with the Holy Spirit. You need to be taught by the Holy Spirit. You need to be reminded by the Holy Spirit. You need to be sustained by the Holy Spirit. There is no life apart from the Holy Spirit. Paul says you need the aroma of the Holy Spirit. That's a good time to say amen. Amen. Paul says if... If you want the good life, if, if you want the genuine good life, if, if you want to experience real life, if you want to experience real peace in this lifetime, find your hope in Jesus. And He will give to you a comforter in the Holy Spirit who will sustain you, who will keep you, who will teach you all things, who will remind you of the truth. You need to find rest and hope in the Holy Spirit. Many of us are afraid of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're afraid that we'll, we'll, we'll be labeled a charismatic. Paul says there is no life without finding your hope, being saturated, being consumed, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's life. That's the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've shown us what the good life looks like. And it's not in the things that we can acquire. It's not in our possessions, but it's in whom we have. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would, even as they leave this place, reveal yourself to men and women and children in this church. That you would illuminate yourself, Father. I pray, God, that you would make yourself real. That you won't let us rest until we come to saving faith. But I pray for believers here, as Paul encouraged the Roman church, I pray, God, that we would walk in the Spirit, 
that we would be led or carried by the Spirit of the living God. Lord, that we would be confident that He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete that same work. We trust You today, God. And we believe that You and only You can do it. And You and only You can satisfy our deepest longings. So would You come and do work in our hearts and in our lives. Father, I pray that You'd bless these offerings that we're about to receive, these tithes as well. Father, I pray that they would multiply and be fruitful to the kingdom. That your fame, your name may grow in Memphis, Tennessee. To the ends of the earth, to the ends of time. In Jesus' name, amen.